Welcome to the Wannabe Hunting Podcast. This is your host, Amos Medford. Thanks for taking some time to listen today. I really appreciate it. We are rolling along with our turkey series, episode number seven today. Hard to believe we're already up to seven, strictly talking turkey hunting. So if you're just jumping in, uh, jump back and check out the rest of those episodes when you get a minute or a few minutes. And uh, I think you'll find them enjoyable. We've had some great guests on, so we, uh, we appreciate you listening today. Today I'm excited to be joined by Preston with DIY Hunter and you can find him on Instagram under DIY Hunter and also on YouTube is where they put up a lot of hunting videos. There's gear reviews, hunting videos, how-tos, some really good stuff on turkey calling and uh, things like that. So definitely jump on YouTube and uh, and find DIY Hunter there. I'll try to leave a link below in the, uh, in the uh, comments for the episode. So big thanks for Preston for taking some time to join me. We had to work a little bit to uh, get our schedules to align, but we finally got it figured out, and I'm glad we did. It was a very informative episode, so hope you guys enjoy as I'm joined by Preston with DIY Hunter. Let's jump in. Welcome to the Wannabe Hunting Podcast. I'm happy to be joined today by Preston with the DIY Hunter. Is that what y'all are on uh, YouTube, man? Yeah. Yep, you got it. Awesome, awesome. I appreciate you taking some time and uh, working with our schedule. We had to had to jump through a hoop or two, uh, getting our schedules lined up, but I appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, get into some turkey with me today. Yeah, no problem, man. I, I like talking turkey, and right now it seems like uh, across all the platforms, turkey hunting, I know our turkey content on YouTube is just, it started cranking like three weeks ago just out of thin air, so... Apparently everybody else is talking about it too. Yeah, man. I was thinking about doing a turkey series on the podcast, which we're in the middle of now. And I was thinking, yeah, I'll line some stuff up, start running it, you know, in March when, uh, you know, South Florida gets cranked up and everybody's, you know, getting pumped. And all of a sudden I just saw everybody posting about already. I was like, dude, everybody is ready. They, we're already pumped. So I need to start cranking them out. Yeah. Um, our peak, I just looked last year, our YouTube, um, it spiked at the first week of February. And no joke, within seven days of the same time frame this year, it took off again. Right at the end of January, um, my calling videos started going. And then the start of February, they took off. Like So it's much earlier than what you'd perceive. Yeah, definitely earlier than what I would guess. Me too. I didn't know this till last year. I mean, we're... We're going into season four, I think, of film and turkey content. And that's the first time I ever really actually grasped that at the beginning of this month that it was as early as what it was. I didn't I didn't know. I mean, I guess, though, the signs are there, right? It's all over social media, but I just didn't know what people were searching for. But I can tell you with certainty um, in the northeast here, hunting out of Pennsylvania and Ohio, uh, by the time we hit the start of our season, we're not even loading any more of our content because it's just a waste of time. It's just dead, dead content. So, yeah. like, we have a whole bunch of hunt videos from last year that we ate because they were out into May. And it's completely useless for us to load because, I mean, it won't even get a look because people are too – they're able to go hunt every day instead of watch hunting every day. So, it's just – that's it. So. Yeah kind of funny you got to almost take 60 days prior and decide well that's that's the prime turkey talking time yeah yeah and that's that's interesting how you learn things along the way when you're doing um you know youtube and, and social media and stuff you know because when you look at it just as a consumer 
you know, you, you look at it differently when you're seeing how people react to that same, to that same thing. You look at the numbers and all that. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pretty interesting, but, uh, man, um, I'd love to talk about all that stuff, you know, all day as well, but let's kind of transition into turkey hunting. Um, I want to ask you first kind of about, uh, uh, your strategy and maybe, uh, scouting and things like that and just kind of get an idea of what you do leading up the season, you know, to find birds or figure out your spots or kind of what your process is. So I guess it really depends because like anything, right. If you've got access in different places that are private, um, these birds, man, on pro, especially on private, like if it's not mega pressured or even if it is pressured, I mean, after, after two seasons spent, you really start to figure out like the pattern movements and like the roost ridges and the roost trees, especially depending on what part of the country you're in. I can't speak to the South. That's a whole nother beast, but anything with like hardwoods, Kentucky, Missouri, everywhere I've hunted, it's, it's always kind of the same. And if you've been on something once or twice, you really start to figure it out. Now it just comes down to, okay, which private properties actually have some strutters and they're holding birds this year? Because like everywhere, the last few years here, we've been seeing a pretty big population deficit in the turkeys, I, pretty nationally, everything I'm reading. So it's now it's a matter of, okay, well, which properties actually have them? So in terms of scouting on like lots that I've already been on, it's more camera placement for me than anything because just waltzing and waltzing and waltzing, it doesn't buy me a whole lot, even if it's like 300 acres, because after two years, these birds are roosted in the same freaking spots. It just all comes down to which one are they in in the morning. But you can really start to narrow that down. They're always going to roost typically high if they have the option. They're always going to be up in like the big, big timber. They love maples. So they'll get up into those big roosting trees because they don't want to be five feet off the ground, right? Now, as far as public goes, um, the last three years have really, I hunt with a good friend of mine out of Ohio and the last three years, things have gotten like pretty crazy. I don't, there's no more license being sold in Ohio. There's no more Turkey tech. So I don't really know where the generate the, the population generation is coming onto the public lands, or if it's just more deer hunters converting into Turkey hunters, which all is fine, but the public lands have gotten extremely more packed. So in terms of scouting, Honest to God, where we've hunted the last three years opening days in different public lands in Ohio, it's become less relevant to us spending time scouting. Last year, we didn't do any because we knew where it was holding birds. It came down to where people weren't. So we were scouting people more the opening weekend than we were scouting more. And by saying that, I mean, which densities of public lots had the most and where were they at? Because these birds, I don't care what anybody says, these birds... You'll still get one to gobble, but they, they shut down. They get much, much quieter. They don't like all that pressure and all that calling. And you have every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there ripping calls three weeks before, just hammering these birds and then spooking them. And it's, you know, I'm a real big believer on not messing with the birds and bumping them. I don't know that they're smart enough to remember because they're spooked all the time, but they definitely get call shy. Because anytime you go out every season, they are just hammering. Well, there's a reason a week into the season that they're not. And it's not just because they decided to shut off. So when it comes to the scouting, we've, we've had some interesting fun the last few years on public because we're quite literally, we know how to find turkeys. 
but we're more concerned with how many trucks are there, which way did they go, what are they doing, because it's just the pressure. And I don't know if that makes sense or not. So preseason going into a place blind, yes, we're scouting. And essentially what we're looking for is in that February, March ballpark after the snow and the frost is melted, where it's open ground, where are these birds starting to aggregate at? Like, or congregate, not aggregate. Where are they moving to? Which ridges do they seem to be roosting on? And we'll drop pins. Okay, they roosted here, they roosted there. And it's even as easy sometimes as just getting out at first light in March, April. Are they cranking or are they not? Drop a pin, drop a pin. And when those start overlaying, it becomes pretty easy to figure out the essentially the area that you need to be in, right? And you can hear them from so far away. It's right. not like you got to be right on top of their head. You just got to get close. But in terms of probably a lot of people listening to this without a big patch of private to hunt, which I personally do not have. I have some smaller timbered patches here in PA, but I've lived here for 25 years. So 30 years, but Ohio, I mean, we run all public Kentucky. We're going to be in public opening weekend. I mean, we, it's always kind of the same thing, right? Get up high, locate some connected ridges that have look like they have big top, on topographic maps, big timber. You're looking for big canopies, big, large, wide canopies. And then we get into that area and just start kind of putting a little bit of boots on the ground or just listening at first light and not murdering ourselves. But, you know, you can kill a lot of miles shed hunting and turkey scouting at the same time, which is kind of nice. Right. Yeah, that, that sounds like a cool idea, you know, because obviously that's killing two birds with one stone. But- yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, you know, I, I like what you said there about like, you know, not, I guess, overcalling during the scouting phase and all that. No, never, ever, <laughs> ever. I, everybody likes to hear turkeys gobble, right? I mean, that's fine. Well then hoot, hoot or crow call. Just do not call them birds in on your lap. And there's going to be a lot of people probably listen to this and they'll totally refute that and tell me how on their farm they do X, Y, and Z and it doesn't matter. Well, it's relevant if there's no one else calling in there ever. So then you can give them a week off. That's fine. I mean, these birds get scared 50 times a day. They have short-term memory. So I I get that. The difference is when you're calling them into where you are, then blowing them out. So that's where I think the call shyness comes from. That's just my own opinion. I'm not necessarily sure that it comes from the exact calling, but that exact calling in which those birds, anybody that's hunted turkeys, them birds absolutely know the difference from every single call they're hearing, which is why they'll circle you to go to a hen up behind you because they know that hen's, hen's call. So if they hear your call, that you know shoddy mouth call you're making or scratching on a slate, and they come in and then bump, they're like, I didn't like that. I'm out. See ya. So I do believe that they start to inherently remember what the call sounds like because there's a lot of, you know, I guess, research out there about their memories not being real great. Well, then how do they remember every day what their hen that they're looking for sounds like from thousand yards away? And they'll pick her out to 10 feet where she's roosted. I mean, they know. So in my opinion, the call shyness comes from the repetitiveness because most people running a mouth call or a friction call, they sound the same. They might not in their head, but to the how well them birds can hear, they sound the same. They sound the same to that turkey. So then you're sitting there and you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. And I tell everybody, for crying out loud, take an air horn if you want. Um, I have a buddy that can't hoot to save his life. And I sent him out to a place 
to roost for us the night before opening day. And I'm told them take an air horn and just tap it. It's just the high pitch. I mean, they'll go to train horns, car horns, but it doesn't spook them if you're not right on top of them. You just need them to hammer. So crow call or owl hoot, don't call them in. If you're going to be sitting there the next day or two turkey hunting, it just doesn't, there's no net gain to that at all, in my opinion. No, it didn't make sense to me, even in theory, but I mean, you know, I'm sure I know a lot of people do it. So, I mean, I absolutely. And there's going to be everyone on here goes this moron. I do that all the time. And I go kill a turkey. I, I think it comes down to your access. What kind of access are you on? Right. If me and you are hunting on three, 400 acre farm with some ag, you know, and we bump one and there's seven other toms, a little bit more relevant. But when you're somewhere where you might, you know, one and done, I mean, I can assure you on farms that I hunt on. And the minute I start calling, them birds are just cranking in a tree and you're week two or week three into the season. They start to shut up real quick when they hear me calling back. And there ain't any more noise. They're just, shoop, that's it. And when I go out for youth season before any of the, you know, adult seasons open, it's a firing frenzy. There's birds ripping every direction and they don't mind that I'm calling. Fast forward two weeks, night and day. And there's even been uh what's his name on social media i think wild turkey doc he's a uh the you know the turkey wildlife specialist i mean he's done research studies on this putting up his uh microphones in the trees when seasons start and i mean it's inside 24 hours and like the gobbling drops by 70 80 percent or something like that and it stays all the way until the season ends and then within 48 hours it turns back on again and so like for people to tell me, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm like, I don't know. There's a lot of science says it does, and I'm sure not going to do it because there's no, there's no net gain either, right? Like, what do me and you gain by calling to a bird when you could get them to fire off with an owl hoot? Right. I mean, I was just watching uh, the Hunt in Public yesterday, the video they just released uh, yesterday or the day before, and War Britain's out, and he's a phenomenal caller and locator, and he's out in Missouri, mm-hmm. and it's. 10, 11 in the morning, and he's walking around just ripping, screeching owl hoots. It's the exact same thing I do. All the way up. Most of the time, when I turn corners into a big drainage, I mean, I, I have like a bellowing owl hoot I do. It's more like a screech. And I'll do that almost every time. Because if I can get a bird to pop off to that, he's probably hot. And now I know where he's at without me having to call, and he's not looking for me. And I never, they never blow out to that. They never get screwed up or put off because it's kind of just a natural noise with a little bit of a spin on it. He was doing the same thing in the video. And I said, ah, I'm not crazy. I was like, (laughs) he does it too. It just, I'd never seen him doing it in the daytime. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. And I I have heard that where to be completely, but you know, you can use an owl hoot, you know, on into the day and stuff like that. So that's cool. hundred percent. I, I, I would have to say, almost every bird in the last 10 years I killed after first light was originally located with a hoot and you get that faint gobble. Cause that's the other thing. I don't know what, again, whatever that noise is I make, it's more of a screech. It's they can hear it from so far. You might catch the smallest, faintest gobble when you're just sitting there calling under your breath. you got to be right on top of them. Right. Yeah. That's true. How close you are. And that affects whether or not you're, blowing them out in the, you know, in the scenario that you're, that you're. Yeah. And I would, I would prefer them not to think I'm a turkey calling at them first so I can locate and then make a move, then call. Right. 
Yeah, and we are gonna have um, the wild turkey duck on here in a couple weeks. So oh, cool. Yeah, there you go. We're gonna get some of those numbers and uh, all the scientific stuff. So that's a uh, that's kind of cool that you brought that up. So yeah, that's awesome. He's very informative, and it's funny how many people, how many, and it doesn't matter what it is this day and age. It doesn't. This guy has spent more hours than people have been alive days studying this stuff. And they'll still refute him because they know best. And you're like, look, man, what do you do for a living? You work at Walmart. How do you know more than this guy? It's all he's done for 30 years. So I take what he says with no grain of salt. And I'm like, okay, I believe it. (laughs) You do this every day for a living, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Good point. That's, that's what he does. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I don't go to the, you know, I don't go to the dentist and I tell him to, you know, redo how he's cleaning my teeth. I'm like, have at it, man. Like, you know, I didn't watch a YouTube video. Now I know what he's doing. And the, I watched his, some of his videos and his posts and there's just as many people refuting his documentation as they are agreeing. And yeah. I just laugh. Cause I'm like, what do you do for a living? Don't tell me, you know, more than this guy. Cause you don't <laughs> like, you just, you know, you just don't. Um, it's just funny to me, but he's very wealth of information. That's for sure. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to get here coming up, but Hey, we're kind of talking about calling. Um, yeah. If you want to talk about locators or go straight to uh, mouth calls or anything else you want to mention. When it comes to gear and stuff, you know, like what uh, what kind of calls do you use or, um, you know, I'm def- you know, brand, but even beyond brand, you know, style or anything that you want to kind of mention on calls. So as far as that goes, um, I carry a Cody 2 glass call, which probably gets used 5% of the time. I have one of those Woodhaven. Um, it's an anodized, some type of metal, anodized slate, maybe something like that. Right. Um, that is very, very loud. I use that when there's wind because I can't get my mouth calls. I can't get the resonance in my mouth calls. Um, and it's very loud. So if it's a really calm, quiet day, a lot of times I don't grab for it. Just sheerly out of my ability to mouth call so well. Not, I'm not saying that toot toot. I'm just saying that in terms of when you're just walking, right? You're not fishing in your pack. It's just like bam, 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 and then go to the next spot, next spot. But when it's windy, um, I'll use that thing a lot because it is very loud and it carries it carries a ton. Um, as far as mouth calls go, I've honestly, this is probably like my third year running these wood havens. I have six of them, but I probably only run four. The one pack... I can't think of what they're called, but they come in a three pack and the one pack has like a blue and orange and another color. And then the other pack, the call, the mouth calls are completely black, but each one of the reeds is a different color. There's a red, a yellow and an orange. Mm -hmm. I, that pack, I don't know. I think, I don't know what it's called to be honest with you, but it's like they're two, three packs. I've ran those six calls for as long as I, they've been selling them. And I've had people tell me, you're not, you're not practicing them on enough. If you get to use them year to year, you should be blowing out the latex. In my opinion, I don't, I don't believe that. I think somebody's overusing them, like how hard they're blowing on the reed. Cause this is going to be my third season. And I, I can assure you, I call like freaking crazy on these things. And I run them the entire season, which is sometimes depending on how early I get out, maybe five or six weeks. And, um, it's, I like them a lot. Again, when it comes to cuts and I'm running this ghost cut V wing, 
I don't have a clue, man. Couldn't even tell you. All I know is I throw them in my mouth and immediately I start manipulating them and I know exactly what I can and can't do with it. But I don't know anything about cuts, anything about wings or shape. (laughs) And I certainly don't know which one does what and which doesn't do the other. Because when I put all six in my mouth, I can do all the calls with all six. Right. And some a little bit better and some a little bit worse. So I, as far as that's concerned, I don't know if that makes sense. I hear a lot of people talking about that and I'm always boggled. I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know if it's a bat wing or a V wing or a Z wing. I don't know. I just know my purring mouth calls. The reason I buy the colored ones, I don't want a set that are all the same and I have to look. I know for a fact two of these that I can run very well. If I'm going to get myself into a situation where I need to be doing some purring and clucking two of them, I can purr so quickly and so much louder. I just remember which colors they are. It's my orange one and my orange one body and my orange read. They just purr better. Right. So to me, that's, that's my only, it's a visual cue. The reason I buy colored ones, but they all, they all work very well. And to be honest, these Woodhavens are so consistent. There's a million calls out there. I tell everybody, if you get one in your mouth and it's working, just keep buying it. Like, don't buy yeah. 50 other ones. It's, it's a waste of money. Just keep buying whatever one works in your mouth. Maybe have a backup at your house that's new. I don't know. Right. No, I mean, that's cool because obviously, you know, those companies want to sell calls and that's good because that's their business. That's all good, but you know, they're going to market well. So they're all going to look cool and They'll come up with cool names, like you said, you know, bat wings and this and that. So that's all good and fine. But, you know, if you got something that works, nothing wrong with sticking with it. No. And I don't know the difference from a bunch of them. And I and that's the other thing I can tell you, I could probably buy 20 and within a minute or two, I can make all of them make turkey noises. So they all work. They all do it. It's just a matter. Some definitely fit the palates of your mouth better and some don't because I know that's a big issue for a lot of people. They're not trimming them right. It's not sealing in the roof of their mouth. Yep. I know when I'm working with people to start learning how to do it, teaching them really what the seal should feel like. I mean, I can open my whole jaw and I can keep mine in the palate of my mouth and it doesn't drop out. That's, that's clutch. And once you figure that out, I actually don't trim mine because when they fold over on the sides to go up in my teeth, that's actually what sits there and holds it there where I don't have to compress it myself. So mm-hmm. I want it a little bit wider. <clears throat> a lot of people will trim to really make sure it fits. I like that little bit of that wider grip and I almost can hold it in my tooth and it just wedges up. So I think mm-hmm. if you find that fit and you go, that's it, that thing seals perfect. I start a lot of people on like a Quaker Boy Pro Triple. Very, mm-hmm. very cheap call, very affordable, makes phenomenal noises and, it, and it's easy to trim. I feel like it fits a lot of people's palates just a great call to start on it's seven eight bucks and you get to kind of learn you know okay cool no i i appreciate that insight because like i said i haven't really figured out the mouth call thing yet and part of it you know may i believe is you know how how it kind of fits in the palette and whether or not it seals so that'll be something for me to experiment with as we go along you just got to find one that you can put in your mouth and just make noise with any noise any noise to you that sounds high pitch squealy doesn't matter and just do that until you got that down cold and then start messing with tones. But until you can get one to seal where you can just real high, it right. doesn't matter. It's not going to be relevant, right? And then once you do that, then you can start and start messing with it a little bit. 
And once you're there, you're home free at that point. I mean, I know I just probably a week ago put all my mouth calls in my truck. And I, you know, I drive for work. I drive out scouting and I just sit in there and hammer on them. Thank God my dog doesn't care, but I'll just call and call and call while I'm driving. And I've had people tell me, oh, it's so freaking loud in my ears in my truck. I'm like, crack a window. Because <laughs> doing it in your house is going to drive everybody nuts if you've got a family at home. So yeah. just do it, in your, do it in your truck. And I mean, if you start all of a sudden, you tag on 20 extra hours a month calling, you're going to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. That's cool, man. Well, uh, I appreciate you kind of going into the calls and uh, that's going to be helpful for me. I'm sure it'll be helpful for some other folks listening. So very cool. Um, one thing we actually messaged back and forth about a little bit, I don't know if you remember, is trying to find um, ammo. Um, but with that said, you know, what kind of uh, what kind of gun and shells are you running? So I have actually um, for a while I was running a, a Remington Versa Max but it's actually my waterfowl gun and I turned it into a turkey gun mm -hmm. and it was just absolutely devastating. I mean, this thing, I run three and a halfs out of it. This thing is devastating. And I leave it in my truck all season because I have a few spots where there might be ag or a power line and I'll bring it if I'm going to be hunting anywhere near there because at 50, I'm really, really comfortable with this thing. I mean, it, it sends a wall up downrange. It no problem would kill at 75. I would just never do that. I just, that's just not, to hit something at that distance safely is just too far. Yeah. So I'll bring it. But typically I have a Remington uh, 1187 special purpose with a little snub nose barrel. Um, the reason I was using that Versamax was I'd ran that 1187 most of my life. And until about six ish years ago, they didn't really have great chokes with great combo of ammo that I really liked that gun with the short barrel. It was, pretty inaccurate past 30 35 pattern wise i shouldn't say inaccurate but the spread was too big right right so i got i got a new Longbeard xr tss choke in that thing now and i'm running tss not i'm running apex um mm -hmm. tss number nines out of that that thing is unbelievable i've used that now for like four years in a row and it has just been it's lighter smaller I absolutely love that gun. And it's just shooting a three inch shell. It's not even, it doesn't even take three and a half. I mean, it just absolutely packs a punch. And I've shot my entire life and my hunting partner on our channel, Jack, uh, Longbeard XR six or Longbeard XR number sixes. Mm -hmm. And we've used those for as long as they've been out. I've tested every freaking ammo against them and I can't beat them bang for your buck. So you're paying what? 18 or 19 dollars for 10 shells right i think maybe 20 right. they're they're as good as it gets and people argue you need a four to kill a turkey no you don't i'm gonna tell you right now them sixes i've rolled birds at 45 50 in brush they're they're powerful now out of a 20 20 gauge i don't know 410 i don't know but i can tell you out of a 12 and i've ran them forever but here these last few years I know these TSS costs a lot and everybody talks about it. I'm not shooting those because of cost. I'm not. And I totally get it. Right. But the first time one of those runs through your gun on an errant shot, or in my example, I had a youth hunter mm -hmm. put an errant shot on a bird. Those TSS shots completely saved our butts big time. He rolled this bird. He shot it way low and pumped it right through the bear, right through the breast barrel rolled it over back 
and it popped back up and started running and he let it have it again at like 55 and just dusted it. I'm not super comfy if we do that with the lead shot that that would have worked. That TSS is unbelievable. And you're like, with a nine shot, you're packing like, I don't even know, 850 or 900 BBs instead of like 250 with lead. So it's like your four X, but the nine shots carrying the momentum of like a three and a half shot lead. So your energy is even more. So it's like the way I rationalize the price. I just told a guy this, and he was in my office the other day and I told him, I said, here's how I rationalize it. Every time I shoot a deer and I get an arrow that's banged up, I build my own arrows. And at my cost with like discounts through a few providers, I'm still building my arrows for like eight or $9 a piece. So Hmm. then what's the difference if I'm shooting a shell for $8? Cause it's still a shot. It's still on a wild animal. I'm getting the most efficiency I can possibly get. That's kind of how I rationalize buying them because they are expensive, but I don't, I don't sight in with them like a moron. I think people (laughs) think you just shoot them all the time, right? No, I put one round through that thing and it better be on, but I sight in with all my lead, but I have to make sure that that round's going to fit my choke because I can assure you, you can shoot five different rounds and your chokes will hit differently. So as soon as that's on, I'm good to go. And I use them just from the amount of efficiency it increases is unbelievable. I mean, it just does, you know, you're three, four times more efficient than a lead round. Will a lead round kill? Absolutely. Every bird I've ever shot. Will this one kill better on an errant shot? Or maybe you miss a little bit right or a little bit high. Absolutely. Cause it's packing four times more BBs. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, it, that's just my opinion on it. It is not needed. It's not necessary. If you have the extra 20 bucks, buy them. Like you're shooting arrows that you got from your bow shop for 120 a dozen and you're shooting them and Robin hooding them and laughing and blowing them over your target in the woods and losing them. Well, those are 10 or $11 a piece. And it's like, you act like nothing happened. No different than a shell, right? Yeah. No. And I actually really like the parallel between the shell and the arrow because that's so true. You know, obviously um, you know, depending on how long you've been buying shotgun ammo, you may be accustomed to spending less. So that's, absolutely, you know, that's maybe what's kind of stuck in people's minds, but, and, and you know, also an arrow is arguably not one and done, but I can tell you everybody I know they Robin hood it, break it, snap one in half. You're like, Oh dang it. You don't think anything of it. So you do get more use out of it. I, I get that. However, yeah. if you really want to build like a, hammer arrow that kind of cost you 12 or 13 bucks an arrow so it's packing a punch well the shell's the same thing i just want to make sure whatever i do on a shot on that turkey if i bring human air into it there's something out there that can decrease that i'm gonna do it and it's like so for me i said to someone if i was sitting with you in the woods and you shot at a bird and you fanned on it or you rolled it and it got up and took off and for seven bucks I could have gave you a round that would give you a three times better crack. Would you pay it? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, that's how I think about it. I'm like, okay, you know, like seven bucks, we could rewind and do that again with something that's three times as more likely to probably rack its brain. Everybody's going to hand me $7. I'm going to give them another shell. Yeah, exactly. If you're ever put in that situation, then boom, there you go. So yeah, you'll pay the seven bucks and not even blink. Right. So I just pay it beforehand. Um, we talk with Apex quite a bit. We've done federal, we've done heavyweight, whatever. 
they're they run honest to god they they're the most consistent holding pattern it's we've tried all of them and it's like we've spent a lot of money on some tss just figuring out what works the best they the most consistently come out of our guns holding their patterns hands down uh, for whatever reason probably because it's a smaller company right and they're hand doing them and they're paying attention to quality control but we really like these apexes and this year i added a 20 gauge to my lineup i've waited two years to find it it's a it's a turkish gun um made by tristar and with covid you couldn't get anything anywhere mm. well one popped up on the market and i heard up and ordered it and i just got it in and i just got a burris fast fire on it literally this week and i'm sighting it in this weekend and then probably loading a patterning video this weekend mm. i'm really stoked it's got a pistol trigger grip a cerakote barrel finish so it's rust preventative because i clean my guns about as much as i clean my sneakers which is never so <laughs> i'm i'm a real big proponent of stuff that's durable because yep. i just beat i beat on it until it almost breaks and then i'll fix it and this thing with the pistol grip i mean it weighs like six pounds this gun's awesome looking so nice. i'm gonna try to add that in this year um for the days you know where you have a public land hall and you're walking all day I'd rather carry a six pound gun than an eight and a half. And it does matter when you've yeah. got a camera and a tripod and a GoPro and a freaking decoy, you feel like you have Walmart wrapped around you walking around. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. That's super cool. And you know, I'm with you. I'm, I am like the proponent of use what you got and go out and do it, you know? Absolutely. Uh, a few years back, you know, I killed my first and only Turkey so far, you know, uh, Remington 887 and no choke, um, three and a half inch, uh, you know, lead, um, you know, ammo and everything. And the turkey came into like eight or 10 yards, you know. Oh, that starts no to get a little tough. No. <laughs> but we did, we ended up, we ended up okay. So, I mean, he was, he wasn't far away at all. But, um, you know, anything you can do, obviously I haven't killed one since, so I haven't been able to get as close since. So it's like, Hey, something that extends or doubles my range or whatever, you know? Yeah. Increases efficiency. Like why not? And I, and I will say, I don't do this whole trend that's going on with people with their choke tubes. Like my 20 gauge choke tube is a five, six, eight. I mean, there's people running five, five, five constrictions and they're shooting their 20 gauges literally at 55 yards in a small pattern they're running these teeny constrictions on their 12 gauges and they can shoot at 70 that's great you ought to see what it looks like at 12 yards it's the size of a freaking ball like a uh, ballpoint pen and you're going i can't hit nothing with that so i i set up my chokes and the patterns on my guns i want them things to be highly highly efficient 10 12 inch circles at like 35 38 because in reality, we hunt timber, every bird I pumps under 25. It is almost never that it's out and open. So mm -hmm. I need as big a spray with as much speed and as much BBs as I can put in the air, which is where this TSS comes into play. And I want it coming out and I want it spreading because, you know, when you're wobbling and your adrenaline's going or you got to shoot cross-handed, man, you want that target to be big. And I mean, once it starts to get to eight, 10 yards, it's very hard to hit next to impossible with some of these chokes that people are running. Yeah. Yeah. It's it just, you know. Yeah. I, it's very easy to miss close compared to 35. You just got to be close at 35 at 15. You got to be dead on because I mean, it's really the pattern on my gun 
my my Versamax that's built for in the fields, the pattern on that at 15 yards, I mean, it's the size of your fist, maybe a little smaller. It's very easy to miss up close, which is why I don't bring it unless I'm going to be out in the open, you know? Yep. No, and that makes sense. And it's it's kind of like, you know, I'm a fairly new hunter. I'm just getting into the archery as well. And it's like, it's all fine and good to see somebody, uh, you know, shooting their 90-pound Hoyt at 120 yards or whatever. But Florida, you know, any deer I shoot, and, you know, we have thick woods, nasty woods, and it's like, man, any deer I shoot is going to be probably 25 yards max where I hunt. So it's like. Oh, yeah, most likely. Ball game, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. That's if I didn't hunt, if I didn't hunt out west, I would probably very rarely shoot over 50 yards in my yard. Honestly, right. I, I just there would be no reason for it. Yeah, that's knowing, you know, knowing what you're up against is, you know, at least after the battle. So absolutely. I will say, though, you know, practicing shooting it. 70, 80, 90, it sure does make shooting at 20 really, really easy with your bow, not to sidetrack. But in yeah. terms of shots with a bow, I, it's no different than a turkey. I think everybody gets this delusion of grandeur to shoot their big white tail at 47. And I'm like, where do you hunt? I can't see 47 yards. Right. Like, you know, but it's teach their own. Whatever practice makes them better to put a better shot on, I'm all for it. Just yeah. sometimes there's some gimmicky stuff, in my opinion, even with turkey hunting where, you know, you need to find the more blue collar video that's realistic. And they're like, here's a pattern at 35. Awesome. Not cool. 77. Like, what's the difference? I, I've never seen a turkey 77 yards away in my life. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you, man. That's cool. Hey, you mentioned um, a burris or a, I guess a site you're putting on that one. Um, yeah. You have like red dots or what, what do you? Yeah. So my Versamax and on my... You know, I've went back and forth for a while. I've been trying to decide if I was going to put anything on this 20 gauge because with anything right there, with any electronic comes potential failure or misfiring, you know, but my 1187 is a, uh, I have an open sight on it and it's a, I have a rear, I have a front bead and a rear bead. And I love that thing, but it won't fail in the rain. It won't fail getting hit, right? There's nothing to break. My right. Versamax, I have that red dot. I do like them a lot. It's called a fast fire. I just put a fast fire four on my 20 gauge. What I like about them is if you're going to happen to shoot crosshand or somebody's coming with you that's not really hunted before, um, something's weird, the shadowing, you know, you're cockeyed or you're a little off kilter where you're leaning over around a tree, those red dots, it's a floating dot, right? Which means... If that dot is on the target, no matter what angle you're aiming, if the dot's on the target, that means the barrel's on the target, which is cool about them. Therefore, you can't really cant the back and the front away from each other and fan on a shot. If that dot's on the target, the dot's on the target, it's going to hit it. So when you switch and have to maybe shoot lefty instead of righty or swing around real fast and hurry up and just pull, pull up with both eyes open, which I shoot them both eyes open because you're supposed to, your peripheral and your line of vision is so good because it's so small and compact. As long as that red dot, red dot still covers your target area, you're on. Which, when I'm bringing people without a lot of experience, to teach them how to shoot the gun is so easy. I just say, that dot goes right here on its neck. And when it's on there, you're good to go. They totally understand that. Yeah. When I'm teaching them about a front and a rear bead, and then you got to level it up and down, left and right, forget it. 
I'm like, nah, we'll take this gun. It's way easier. So that 20 gauge, I'm going to try to carry a lot. And I just, I really like that red dot. I mean, even for someone that knows how they're shooting in the heat of the moment, lining up a front and a rear bead can be a little bit of a son of a gun. That dot, it's on, it's on. Now that does bring into play the off chance that that thing gets bumped off center. I've not had that particularly happen yet, but it is plausible, right? Like it's like anything. Um, Sometimes there's a malfunction from it. Now Burris has a lifetime warranty, which is nice. So if anything ever does happen, you just ship it back and you get a brand new one forever. Like it's for, even if it's not, even if I didn't buy it, my dad gave it to me. It doesn't matter. You get a new one. So that's a plus, but it might cost you a Turkey. So I do try to tell people, Hey, if you have a red dot, keep some bird shot or some lead rounds in your car. And every now and then when the day gets done and you've walked all day, pump around through it at 20 and, and you're good to go. Just, just to be safe for a dollar. It's worth it, you know, but I, I like them. It just, it's just very easy to aim, right? Like put it on, shoot the trigger. And that one, it's one of the sleekest designs. And by that, I mean, very, very low profile, small, right. And I mount it as far down my Picatinny rail as I can from my eye to make it easier to not block my field of vision. And then when you're shooting with both eyes open, you can see everything and it doesn't get in your way. Like I'm not a big fan of scopes or the big high offsetting ones. I don't, I don't like any of those. I want something teeny, teeny, teeny. And it's, they're little, they're very little. I would say maybe an inch and a half bottom to top and they're not very wide. They're as narrow as your barrel. Right. So I, we've, we've really liked them. We, we run a lot of their products and their scopes and um, very affordable. They're, they're a good one to run. So now if it's pouring down rain, they've got a nice rain guard, but if it's crappy and mucky, I'll just bring my open sight one just because, and I'll just bring that. So just yeah. depends situationally. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. And um, I was actually going to follow up. You kind of, um, you kind of answered the question already, but I should say you're taking somebody out for the first time or new or whatever. Where, where do you tell them to aim on a turkey? So I always tell them to do as best as they can to aim right where the neck gizzard just starts to hit feather. And I, I tell them explicitly, we're not going to shoot if the bird's blown up and I show them pictures. I'm like, see, this is a strutting bird. We're not going to shoot when it's doing that. I said, if it's doing that, I'll talk you through it. And I'll hit a couple cut calls and they're going to stick their head up and then you're going to shoot, but you're going to want to hold on. But I always tell them whether it's sideways, frontwards, I want them aiming right, right at the bead at the top of where the feathers start. So on the skin, but before it turns the feather and you aim there, you got your most margin of efficiency to miss up, down, left, right by a mile. Um, When it turns sideways, it's preferable but I don't mind if it's straight on either. Cause I always, Oh, I'll set them up and tell them like one second, I'm going to make a call. He, they're going to pop its head straight up in the air and look for us. And when that happens, you take a, t- take a second and go ahead and let them have it. And I'll just, bah, 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 bah. and yeah. nine out of 10 times they freeze their head comes up in telescopes and it's just like a Turkey neck sticking out. And I tell them right, right there. Um, because then also once they telescope like that, if they miss, they miss. They clean miss. So it's, it's, it's good and safe, but yeah. that's, that's where I show them. And I have a couple pictures saved on my phone to try to show them to remember. So when we're driving out, I'm like, here you go. Here's where you want to aim, right? Like right here, this is where your spot is. You want to put the red dot. And then as it starts to get a little bit light out, 
I'll have them look at the red dot, you know, and aim with it a little bit and, and try to make sure they understand where to put that at. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's, that's what, um, you know, I've, I told my brother-in-law where to aim one time and, uh, that's, that's exactly what I told him. So. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Now I will say when I'm shooting, I absolutely aim a little higher than that. I don't even want to tango. I don't want to tango with any BBs at all in their breast meat, cleaning them. Yeah. So I definitely go, I mean, I full blown aim straight skull, like straight head dome piece, especially let's say I get out past the 2025 mark. Yeah. Um, I'll aim even a little bit higher because I know I want that bead right on his eyeball because um, at that point it's like, I don't want any BBs in that Turkey, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you making some time to come on today, and um, it's it's been informative for me for sure. I'm definitely making some notes for uh, for this season, and um, just want to give you a chance to kind of let everybody know where to find you. Um, you know, YouTube is obviously a big big uh, spot for you, but anywhere you want to uh, to point people toward to uh, find what you've got going on, man, just uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's uh, same on Instagram. We have. Uh... You know, it's just DIY Hunter official because there's a lot of DIY Hunter things popping up. So when we first did it, we just said DIY Hunter official. And then same with uh, YouTube, just DIY Hunter. Not okay. to be not to be mixed up with DIY Sportsman. His channel's much bigger than ours. <laughs> He's got <laughs> his channel's huge. But no, it's yeah, just DIY Hunter. And that's the two main platforms we focus on. And, you know, we get a little bit off and on focusing on them at times. But, you know, that's just the way it goes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're out there hunting, so, you know, it's <laughs> you get busy. Yeah. Keep all day, you know, working on that. Plus I know I wish anything else, you know what I mean? So I absolutely, that's part of the, that's part of the struggle. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I completely agree. The, the guy I had on last night is part of a, a crew called the part-timers and that's what they say is say uh, overworked under hunted. So I think all of us feel that way. Yeah, I agree. I would have to get on board with that. <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> awesome man all right buddy well i'll let you go i'm gonna get back to work and i think you're probably getting ready to head on in so i appreciate i'm getting it. real close yep cool man well we'll uh we'll talk again we'll have to talk about deer stuff and some western stuff or whatever in the future. absolutely anytime you want Big thanks once again to Preston with DIY Hunter for joining me. Make sure you do check him out on YouTube. They've got some awesome videos there. And want to especially thank everyone who's taken the time to tune in and listen today. I really appreciate it. The support is awesome and uh, things have been going great with the podcast uh, on the upward upward trend. Um, I, still, I still consider it a small podcast, but uh, I'm thankful for everyone who listens and... Uh, I just couldn't be more pleased with the guests that we've had on, um, like Preston today and many others. And I'm just thankful for the opportunity to talk hunting with these guys and try to learn something that I'm really hoping uh, I can put some of the stuff I'm learning in the turkey series uh, to use in the field very soon. So looking forward to that. want to wish everybody good luck this turkey season. Uh, there's already uh, been a weekend in South Florida by the time this releases. And uh, just good luck to everybody getting out there. Hope you, hope you get the job done. And uh, you know, shoot me a shoot me a picture on Instagram or uh, tag me when you throw it out there. And I'd love to 
see what you see what y'all are getting done in uh, in the woods and you know we can throw it up on the page as well if uh, if you'd like us to so thanks again to Preston for joining me today thank you again for listening we really appreciate it hope everybody has a good day and as always honor God work hard and keep hunting <laughs>